This is Mr. Christopher with the Funkatopia Radio Show, and it is my honor to have on the line uh, somebody who, during <laughs> pretty much his whole life, almost everything that he touched turned to gold, and if it wasn't gold, it should have been Mr. Lamont Dozier. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So a lot of people may not be uh, familiar with you. Matter of fact, you know, even, uh, you know, when I was speaking to my father-in-law and I said, oh, you wouldn't believe it. I'm going to get to interview Lamont Dozier. And he was like, he had this blank look on his face. And I was like, all right, right, hold on. (laughs) Let me, let me explain who Lamont Dozier is. He, he was part of the Holland Dozier and Holland group. And he is responsible for, uh, where did I love? Where did I love go? I can't help myself. The Sugar Pie Honey Bun song. You can't hurry. Love. Stop in the name of love. Baby love. How sweet it is to be loved. I mean, all those songs, and he just his jaw just drops. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, and, right. And, and the list doesn't end there. So it's just so it's truly an honor to have you on. I mean, you are pretty much the defining. Uh, part of the defining songwriting team of that era and I just you know I I always hear a lot of people say and I know I'm talking a lot and not letting you talk but um, I I hear a lot of I hear a lot of people say that Motown probably wouldn't have exploded as big as Motown exploded if it wasn't for your songwriting team and and the talent that you were able to to put together and the songs that you were able to write. How how would you feel if somebody said that to you? I would think that was very nice and being very, very generous. (laughs) There were other people there as well as Holland, Dozier Holland, of course, but uh, Smokey Robinson, Norman Whitfield, and and, and several others that are producers and writers there at the company. And uh, um, we sort of uh, had a a rival going, you know, to see who could get the the most releases out at one time. But... um, we all had a family atmosphere there and a love for each other, uh, along with our spirited uh, uh, competition, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, it was, I would think uh, that Holland Dozier Holland uh, uh, did a lot of, uh, had a lot of the, the bigger hits uh, during that time, during the 60s. and. Um, we were very blessed and very fortunate to have uh, our working arrangement uh, the, among the three of us. Uh, we were like a, f- uh, a factory within a factory, you know. We uh, we came up with an idea that we would uh, split our forces up in three ways so we could get more tuned out and have more opportunities to work with more artists. And that was that uh, Eddie would continue to write uh, the lyrics as I came up with the ideas for the lyric. And Brian and I would go in the studio and cut the tracks. And Brian would also be the recording engineer. And I would uh, handle the duties of uh, writing lyrics and passing them on to uh, Eddie. And he would uh, finish them off and, and go uh, and, and go teach them or teach uh uh, the singing uh, parts to uh, the artists, and uh, that's how we sort of like uh, uh, 
uh, split the duties of uh, songwriting up between the three of us. And we were able to get more songs out and and more uh, hits. Uh, we were always on the same page as far as uh, what we liked or what we felt would be a, a hit record, a uh, hit song. And so we were um, closely knit that way. We had a, you might say, a spiritual connection. Uh, to each other in, in that regard. We were always on the same page. We liked the same types of music. Brian and I uh, uh, and Eddie, uh, we, we all three of us grew up in the church and um, and had um, a lot of training in uh, singing in the choirs. And then uh, we also liked uh, classical music. So uh, with the classical uh, and uh, gospel and R&B music uh, uh, likes and loves for this type of music. We were able to turn out a lot of uh, different sounding music and pop music as well. Now, you said when you were there at Bowtown that you had a lot of competition that you, it was like a little bit of a friendly rivalry going on. What was the main competition that you had at Motown? Probably Smokey Robinson and Norman Whitfield. Well, yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were uh, very uh, strong competitors. I mean, they were um, good songwriters and good writers. Smokey was uh, uh, the lead writer at one time before I got there. And um, he had Shop Around was the, the company's first major number one hit uh, with the Miracles. Uh, yeah, and he started that off uh, the ball rolling, so to speak. When I got there and joined, uh, joined up with the uh, Holland Brothers, and I came as came in as an artist, but Barry wanted me to uh, uh, be a producer and songwriter because uh, before I got to Motown, I had uh, my own group, the Romeos, who, who were uh, with Atlantic Records. And so I, uh, my duties were to write the songs, sing the songs as the lead singer of the Romeos. And uh, so he knew, uh, he, uh, I should say, he was aware of my my skills or talents. <laughs> and um, he wanted me to be a producer and songwriter at his company when he uh, approached me about doing that. So when I came to Motown, I... Uh, joined forces with Brian Holland first. He overheard me playing some music and, and thought that I should make certain adjustments, um, being that I needed a, a bridge on this song called uh, uh, Forever. It was something I was writing for Marvin Gaye. And, um, and that's how we started collaborating or working together. Then later on, uh, later on, his brother Eddie came in and decided to try his hand at writing lyrics. You know? Now, when you're writing a song for Marvin Gaye, are you in the studio when they're recording it, or is it simply just like, okay, we're going to pen it on paper, and then it's going to be, you know, and then, you know, maybe you'll let the upper brass decide who is going to be the best person to sing this song, or are you, are you part of the process at all once the artist gets it? No, once we, uh, the process is, is the three of us writing the song, uh, come up, but whoever comes with the idea it was usually me coming up with a song like How Sweet It Is for Marvin Gaye. Uh, an idea man uh, my, like myself would uh, come up with the idea. And then, uh, Brian and I would sit down and figure out what the melody uh, and, and how it should be cut in the studio as far as 
recording the track and whatever lyrics I had started like well, how sweet it is to be loved by you I uh, got set down with, uh, with Eddie and passed pass lyrics on to him and later on we would go our separate ways and let Eddie finish up the lyrics that I had started and, uh, and then uh, Brian and I and I could go on to other uh, writing other songs and uh, cutting other tracks for other artists as well. That's why I said we were a factory within a factory. And we were, by doing it like that, we were able to, to get more releases out than any other producer or writer. Wasn't your first uh, hit out of the gate, uh, Where Did Our Love Go? Was that the first one that you actually broke out with? Well, it wasn't it wasn't our first, but it was the biggest. That was the one that went through the ceiling, so to so to speak. We that started the whole company. Um, uh, that was the first of thirteen consecutive number ones on the Supreme, and uh, made the company uh, just a big company worldwide. You know. From what I understand, that wasn't even originally written for the Supremes. Wasn't it written for the Marvelettes? No, <laughs> that's that's right. The Marvelettes hated it, uh, or I should say Gladys Horton, the lead singer. She was just adamant about, hey, listen, we don't sing stuff like that. And they had a, previously had a three or four hits, so they were kind of high on their horse, you know, so to speak. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and so I was sort of flabbergasted because I... I I was uh, I approached him with this song, this idea, being that I was the one that came up with it, and I thought that it would be a good song for her to sing. Uh, I even went as far as to cut it in her key, uh, not realizing that, um, uh, or not figuring that she wouldn't like the song. But after I, you know, uh, sung it to her and let her hear parts of the demo. Uh, she said, no, 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 honey, we don't do stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, she was very adamant about it, about doing the song, you know. And so I figured that, you know, there's a policy there at the company, too. I figured that if I didn't get somebody to sing this song, uh, uh, after she refused to do it, uh, that I was gonna, or the guys and I would have to pay for the track, you know. That was the deal. If any producer cut anything that, that wasn't finished, they would have to pay for it out, out of their own pockets eventually, you Are know. You serious? <laughs> That's the way it went down, right. But, uh, so I was scrambling around trying to find somebody to do this song, and it seemed like. Gladys had uh, sort of spread the word about this poison song that nobody wanted, <laughs> but uh, and, and didn't do my my job, and it, it made things worse for me, I should say. But uh, uh, but then uh, I looked at the artist roster, and at the bottom of the list was the, the Supremes, and the rest of the artists used to call them the, the no hit Supremes because uh, they hadn't had any. Uh, luck yet as far as getting the hit record so I, I saw Mary Wilson coming across the, the, uh, the lawn the front lawn of the studio uh, and I came to, came up to it and I said I wrote this song oh oh Mary I got a song that's specially designed for you and the girls 
And she said, what are you talking about? Said, you didn't talk about that song that Gladys turned down. I said, I said, no, what are you talking about? I was trying to give Gladys a shot at it because I originally wrote it for you and the girls in the first place. It was a pretty, you know. And she, <laughs> <laughs> you know, she didn't fall for it. But anyway, uh, I convinced them after some talk and everything. We convinced them to go in the studio and, and um, learn the song. And uh, they sang it and... They were uh, they were dying. Was very perturbed, and she didn't like it either. Nor did Florence, you know. But Mary went along with it, you know, uh, because uh, they couldn't afford to turn down anything because they hadn't had any success yet, any real success, you know. But um, anyway, we went and got them in the studio, and that night I still remember it was like chaotic in a way because. We had words, Diane and I had words about it, and and, he, and she was saying stuff like, "You all, you always giving us these leftover songs that nobody else wants," and blah 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 blah, you know, just on and on and on. But she went on and sang the song, we got it in, in, in on microphone, and she started to sing. And with her attitude and that that uh, reluctance and that pissed off attitude that she had uh, was just what the song needed. It was just, it was designed for the feeling of that song, Where Did I Love Go? And after it was done, Barry came down and listened to it because she was making such a fuss about uh, not liking it. When he heard it, he thought, he said, wait a minute, this sounds like it could be something, you know? So in the next week or so, we uh, got it all ma mixed and uh, mastered and sent it out. And uh, sure enough, the record took off, you know, like a wildfire, wildfire rather, and uh, and uh, it became number one in about three or four weeks in the country. And um, Barry rushed in and said, hey, man, you guys, whatever you guys came up with this song, you got to come up with more of the same, you know. And that led to a 13 number one consecutive other songs, you know. Um, that follow suit uh, afterward. I love go. We had baby love. Come see about me. Stop by the name of love. You can't hear you love. On and on and on and on. You know, thirteen number ones in a row. It was like one of the most significant uh, stories of uh, success by any group, I guess, in history at the time. Um, and the Supremes uh, became uh, worldwide uh, huge in that respect. And so at this point, you guys are probably strutting around Motown. <laughs> I'm mighty at this point. Oh, yeah. We were just like, uh, uh, the work was just uh, just uh, so hard. I mean, we were constantly working to keep up the, the demand, you know, uh, for the girls, for the Supremes, and the other artists as well. We still had our duties working with the Four Tops and Martha and the Vandellas and, uh, you know, Marvin Gaye, of course. And, uh, and and it was just a strenuous workload that we had, but uh, uh, what, 16, 18 hours a day in the studio and uh, at home working on lyrics and melodies and me pounding at the piano, Brian pounding at the piano and Eddie knocking out lyrics as uh, as, as I gave him the ideas, you know. But uh, that was um, how it went, and it was just so successful. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, how uh, everything seemed to 
uh, to go, you know, like hits on the, the four tops, sugar pie, honey punch, uh, baby, you know, I can't help myself and and reach out, I'll be there, burn it at, blah, blah, blah. The same thing was going on with the rest of the group, so we couldn't fail. Everything we touched seemed to turn to gold in, in, in that era, in that time. And we just, like, we were shocked that, that uh, we couldn't do any wrong there for, for a good uh, 10 years or so that we were at Motown. So at this point, when you're in, we're in this mode, where you're in this, you know, super hit writing machine, are are the artists that are there on the label at this point? Are they coming to you and just like oh, you've got to write me a song? Or, or well, on the and the flip side of that too is that also you know when everybody was walking around calling them the Supremes no hits, or the no hit Supremes or whatever. Um, did you know how did how did the vibe towards them as a group change also because you know a lot of their success was based on your songwriting. And on top of that, you know, just the label itself has was pretty much given it. You, you've given them a pretty amazing pedestal to, to stand on with all those hits. That's right. That's right. And everybody, I, I guess uh, the, the 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 climate was that uh, some of the people, some of the uh, the producers and writers were sort of upset because we were getting the majority of the releases. And, and Barry told him, say, when you guys start writing and coming across with the hits like Holland Doja Holland, then you can complain. But right now, Holland Doja Holland is keeping the doors open over here. So you guys, instead of complaining, you should uh, try to come up to that level, you know, of songwriting. So uh, that made me feel good. And uh, But uh, the Supremes were no longer called uh, the no-hit Supremes. They were like, uh, they were the group to aspire to be, you know, from uh, from all of the other uh, acts uh, in the company. They would try to be like, uh, or hopefully thought they could be like the Supremes as far as having hits. And they did come uh, to us. Hey, man, when are you guys going to write us some of the Isley Brothers and, and several other groups? Uh, hey, look, when you give us a shot, you know, and, and uh, write us something, you know, but we couldn't write for everybody. So, uh, like, Smokey would uh, uh, had his duties there as songwriter as well, and for his own group, as well as uh, Norman Whitfield. Uh, so, uh, it was, uh, it, was uh, it was chaotic, but it was like a, a friendly competition going on, and we were all family oriented in mind, and, and for the attitude, I should say, that the, the good of the company is what we were fighting for, and uh, because the world has seemed to recognize Motown as, as the place to be for his record, you know. Right. At what point in time did you? Um did you realize management's real happy with me? Did you get like a, a nice bonus check or, you know, a new oh, car or something? Yeah, well, you know, um, all of those. We were, uh, Barry used to take uh, Brian and I on the, uh, matter of fact, we made, made our first uh, trip to California, and I think it was in 63. Uh, we came out and uh, uh, he took us out and gave us a fine, great time in, in, in Los Angeles. And I had never been to California or Los Angeles for that matter. And when we got there, we it was like uh, in January in Detroit, and it was, it was full of 
snow and um, cold weather. But when we got to California, it just happened to be one of those days they were having a heat wave, you know. So um, that was, um, matter of fact, that was uh, when I stepped off the plane and felt this, this heat wave going on, unusual sea, uh, weather they were having. I think it was, I don't know, 80 degrees or something. And that was the idea that spurred me on to uh, uh, come up with uh, a lot of ideas, a new way of writing because of the, the weather. And I figured that one day I would move to California because I figured I, I finally found my home, you know, where I wanted to lay my hat, so to speak, you know. And uh, thanks to Barry's uh, uh, trip that he took us on, we were able to... Uh, uh, rethink things about where we wanted to live and and we had all of the good stuff of course the Cadillac cars and all of that stuff you know but uh, it was um, a great time and a great feeling and a lot of love and competition <laughs> Imagine. so what made you depart from this you know this amazing group of talented writers to kind of step out on your own I, I imagine that you know a lot of times you feel like you know it wasn't because you feel like I, you know I, I can do this on my own or is it just or is everybody collectively feeling that or wh what what is the reasoning for for breaking up that songwriting well well, you know, we, um, uh, around 68 or uh, thereabouts, uh, we decided that, uh, well, we had some talks uh, with, uh, with the powers that be at the company about us having our own label. And, uh, uh, but nothing ever, uh, didn't materialize with that talk because they figured that uh, if we had our own label that we would be concentrating on that label and not uh, and not Motown anymore so they were they weren't too keen about uh, giving us that label so we decided to well we had been there long enough and to contribute uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars of revenue for the company and we we felt that we we uh, supposed to have uh, this type of uh, thing if we wanted to have a subsidiary label, a subsidiary label. But um, uh, they were keen for it, so we started shopping around and then uh, we came into a couple of companies, couple, ran into a couple of companies uh, like Capital and, and Casablanca, Neil Bogart, you know. And these people were very adamant, and other labels as well were very adamant about, you know, having us, uh, making deals with us, you know. And uh, so that, that's what happened. We uh, we still had existing contracts, though, with Motown, So we, but we just felt that uh, it was time to leave, uh, contract or no contract. So we left, and naturally uh, the company sued us. And it was a, a big uh, lawsuit, and and, and uh, it was kind of nasty there for a while. But we went on, started our own company, uh, Invictus and Hot Wax Labels. And um, um, uh, that was like around uh, 69, and we came out with, uh, with Sweet Fame, um, uh, Band of Gold, and uh, the chairman of the board, uh, give me just a little more time, you know. And we continued our hit, uh, hit the writing ways, you might say, with our own label for a while. And we were together another four years together before I decided that I wanted to uh, uh, 
uh, moved to California and uh, started my own because uh, I had been approached about singing again and uh, at the ABC Dunhill. So that's what I started to do. I uh, made up my mind to do rather, and uh, so I moved to California and uh, uh, signed with ABC Dunhill. As, out here, uh, out here on my own was my first album that I did, which was a million seller. And, and then a couple of years uh, there at the company, earned me um, the best new pop singer of the year in Billboard magazine in uh, seventy and seventy four. So everything was going along well, and then unfortunately, uh, we're no longer with the Holler Brothers, but. Uh, uh, I wanted to see what I could do on my own as, as an artist, you know, that uh, that has escaped me while I was there at Motown, you know. My luck was uh, right. I was fortunate to have a, a very successful singing career at, at ABC Dunhill, so much so that Warner Brothers uh, approached me after my uh, contract was up with, uh, with ABC Dunhill, and I signed with them. Uh, uh, and uh, things weren't as good as uh, as they were at the ABC Dunhill, but I, I still managed to, to crank out uh, some some decent material. <laughs> now your solo work has been sampled like many times. Great, <laughs> like nuts! I mean, that stuff from the, that I did at ABC Dunhill uh, was like has been sampled over 200 times by different artists, hip-hop and rap artists. Notorious, Notorious B.I.G., Tupac Shakur, Lil Wayne, Dr. Dre, Common, oh, Lupe Fiasco. Yeah. That's uh, right. I, it's just, uh, so all those people, I mean, Mary J. Blige, Usher, Nas, uh, even Linkin Park, I mean, all, all these bands have, have said, so how does that make you feel when you hear these little pieces of, of uh, your song? I'd have, I've always wondered, you know what the legalities are with some of that i know before in the 80s it was just kind of like a, a, the wild west but then of course you know after after a while that that came to came to finally came to roost but um how do you feel when you think man the, the song in itself is fantastic it's just they're just using a little teeny piece of it yeah well you know they were using bits and pieces of uh, the catalog of mine at ABC Dunhill they were using bits and pieces to write their own or, or do their own monologue type songs that they do in, in hip hop and uh, rap you know and uh, but uh, I thought it was very clever how they did some of those things they would take the intros and and bridges from those a lot of those songs or, or take some of the melodies and then uh, tap into the melody lines that I had for those all those songs I wrote you know and uh, and they were successful a lot of them but uh, it was just mind-blowing that uh, I was the hip-hop and, and rap artist favorite one to run to 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 Steal from, I should say. <laughs> uh, but, but, how you, but how are you feeling when when you're you you have a song that you've put your heart and soul into, and then they take little pieces of it and create entire songs and put and layer over content that is that you probably disagree with or just not. I mean, how do you feel when they take you know your song and they revamp it in a way? And layer vocals over it that have you know salacious content or or does does it bother you? 
Uh, no, it doesn't really bother me because of the situation and the way uh, they wrote and how they uh, went about uh, doing their business. Uh, you know, the way the, the hip-hop and the rap stuff were uh, done, uh, it was, I understood it, but uh, it, it still didn't bother me. I thought some of it was very interesting, you know, and... Um, uh, some of them really uh, paid homage to me, uh, a lot of uh, and some of them would get the meaning that they got permission, and some of them didn't uh, give them permission. They just, they just took the ideas and, uh, without, consult, without consulting me, which ended up with a lot of them uh, running into my, my uh, lawyers. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that was not pleasant, but it had to be done because... Uh, uh, you know, you just could have uh, the people just ravishing your catalog with not giving you proper respect. I mean, the people like, uh, 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 um, oh God, I could name a bunch of them that, that, that did this, but then there was a lot that paid me the respect and gave me a, a, a phone call to ask could they uh, participate with uh, or at least have a, a slice of this or a piece of this song uh, that I wrote or sang, you know, which I appreciated, you know. But but that's the way the times were uh, in those days. And, and I guess it still, to some degree, still goes on. But I was just uh, flabbergasted at all of the many artists that wanted to sample my uh, uh, material of, 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 of that era, of, that, of the 70s that I did with the ABC downhill primarily yeah so now you have uh you have you've been doing solo stuff and i think I, as far as i remember the last solo album you have was from 2004 um if i remember correctly i could be wrong on that but i know you have a brand new one that's coming out like shortly or is it already out yeah yeah it's just released last week matter of fact fantastic so, so tell me about it yeah it's called Reimagination, and uh, you know, during the sixties, there's a there were a lot of songs that I felt we could have done them or, or rearranged them, or I could have arranged them and sung them in a different way, you know. And when the opportunity came, uh, uh, like people like Fred Mullen, who is who is the uh, uh, the producer on this particular album, and he was after me for oh God, 10, 15 years to do this album this way. He had ideas, and I had ideas about the same, same thought about taking some of these songs and rearranging them, giving them a facelift, and uh, uh, let the people hear uh, the many ways that these songs could be interpreted and interpreted, and which I did. I. Uh, because songs like uh, In My Lonely Room, which is, was sort of like an obscure dance song I did on Martha and the Vandellas, but I always loved the melody. And uh, and a lot of the songs had melodies that you can just constantly rearrange and do in, in your own, uh, you can make them your own sort of thing, in a different light, a shared different light on on the, uh, the songs by giving... Um, uh, new light or new exposure or however you want to say a facelift you know to a lot of these songs uh, and that's what we did with this album this album uh, we invited uh, some uh, uh, people to come in and sing with me and uh, some uh, some name acts and 
and uh, it turned out to be a very pleasant experience, better than I thought it would be, you know. Um, Fred Mullen had talked me into this, and, and he's a great producer, and, and uh, uh, he made it happen, and it made it work, and uh, we're getting so so many uh, great uh, responses from the from the cup uh, uh, for the fans of mine over in Europe, Japan, and in the states here, you know. So it's coming along, although it's uh, just been released. The the, uh, the response that we're getting is fantastic. Yeah, I'm I'm actually uh, pretty excited here. I was I was looking uh, up online, and it, it is available on Amazon. And uh, you, you actually redo uh, you have a little bit of a Supremes medley of uh, Where Did Our Love Go? Stop in the Name of Love. Come see about me and baby love. Uh, then how sweet it is to be loved by you. Reach out, I'll be there. I mean, so you you've got so many so many songs on here, and, and it just. I think it just boggles a lot of people people's mind to know that so many of so much of the Motown library during that era during that decade was was solely responsible from your songwriting team and I just yeah. I, I just, people just can't wrap their heads around that so these so these reimaginations are, are, are they just are the songs just structured differently well I, I think it was just more or less put together by Fred Mullen who 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 got the people together and who uh, wanted to sing along sing with me with these songs uh, in, in a sort of like a duet way or just play, uh, play I should say play homage to the songs and as, as well as to Motown and myself and in uh, Hollands you know so uh, you know it was um, uh, you know, I felt that it was a great idea. Mainly, we wanted to get across to the public that these songs um, had so many ways, had so 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 many uh, attitudes or, or things that you could do uh, with them because of the, the wide range of uh, melody and uh, the feelings that they had. So, and I took advantage of that, uh, and uh, after years of uh, uh, going back and forth, wondering should I do it or should I not? A friend Mullen convinced me to do it, and he had great ideas for it, and along with myself, and we were able to pull it off, and uh, with some help from from good friends that came in and sang with me, yep. it, turned, it turned it turned out to be a great great experience. Yeah, and some of those good friends would be uh, Marcone, Joe Harmon, Leanne Womack, uh, Sir Cliff Richard. Graham Nash right. from Crosby, Stills and Nash, Todd Rundgren, Gregory Porter. I mean, these are just. Have you ever worked with any? I mean, have you ever worked with any of those artists previously, or are these just people that just kind of came out of woodworks and said, "No, we are here to honor Lamont's work"? And uh, that, what was that happened. That it was like that as well, like you say. But it also, I, I had worked what four or five years ago with uh, uh, with Cliff Richard. I did uh, produce an album on him.
Well, but uh, otherwise, uh, I always Leanne uh, Leanne Womack. I loved her. You know, uh, I wish she danced and things like that. Were some of my favorite songs, and uh, and I was glad to have her. And Todd, I've, I've been knowing Todd for years, and his his contribution was just uh, tremendous. And Porter, and uh, I mean, on and on and on. The, the guys, Nash, you know, they did a fantastic job. But you know, it was like it was a fun. I was glad to hear them in the, their the participation. Yeah, it's, I mean, those are powerhouse vocals. I mean, everybody who's ever heard Gregory Porter, he's just he's just fantastic. I mean, just the, the range that he has. And same thing with Leanne Womack and Todd Rundgren. You know, a lot of people don't, you know, they only recognize him from, you know, the bang on the drum song. I don't want to right. It's like, but you, you have not heard, you, if you, to hear Todd sing is just he's got this unbelievable range it's he's just fantastic so yeah so it's it's you're, you're right you're right he, what he did on the, uh in my lonely room was just fantastic it brought tears to my eyes his backing vocals for one thing that he put on uh was just tremendous i mean he uh we had dinner before he he went in the studio to do these ideas he wanted to do uh, the background uh, for the in my lonely room and it was just exquisite what he what he did he, he could do so many great things with his voice I mean he's a fantastic artist he has tremendous skills oh yeah absolutely so the album is called Reimagination look up Lamont Dozier it's L-A-M-O-N-T Dozier D-O-Z-I-E-R and the new album is called Reimagination it just came out thank you so much for spending time with me today because it's just an honor to speak to, to a musical legend like yourself I, I, I thank you so much for your time I oh that's, that's so nice that's so God bless you I mean you know uh, I appreciate all of these type of uh, interviews and things uh, a lot of people uh, uh, I think will be happy once they hear this album they'll, they'll be thrilled that they got it <laughs> I, and we are definitely going to make sure that we uh, put some in rotation on the radio show again let me just say Lamont Dozier, you are a musical legend, and you just you defined um, you, you defined an era. And uh, thank you so much. And uh, it was it was an honor to have you. And thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Lamont Dozier, please go online, get the album thank Reimagination. Thank you. Appreciate it. Watch you walking down the street.